We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at these examples of punishment being meted out and to those that, that needed it and, and the attitudes they had toward it. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. We're in 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, the first part of it, we had King David die and, and send the, put the kingdom into Solomon's hands. And we saw him die and was put to rest. And now we're going to start at verse 13. Now, and Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, come you peacefully. And he said, Peace, peaceably. And, she, and he said, moreover, I have somewhat to say unto you. And she said, say on. And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel set their faces on me that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about and has become my brother's for it was for his from the Lord. And now I ask one petition of you, deny me not. And she said, say on. And he said, speak, I pray you unto Solomon the king, for he will not say no to you, that he give me Abishag the Shulamite to wife. And Beersheba said, well, I will speak for you unto the king. So we want to look at this because this is going to start uh, an attitude going on. Remember, uh, Adonijah rebelled against uh, David even and tried to take the kingdom. He got, he got uh, Joab and he had uh, the, priest, the, the head priest uh, on his side and he went out and he declared himself king. And then we had... Uh, David decided, no, it's going to go to Solomon because God said it belongs to Solomon. And they, they put Solomon in place. And then when Solomon got into his place, uh, Adonijah ran to the altar, grabbed hold of the horns, and said, you know, because Solomon was ready to kill him right, right then and there. And at the end of that, uh, chapter 1, it, he had said to him, reading at verse 50, And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and rose and went and caught hold of the horns of the altar, and it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah fears Solomon, for he hath caught hold of the horns, saying, the king Solomon, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not slay a servant with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself worthy, there shall not a hair of him fall on the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So Adonijah has been left alive. All right? And he deserves to die. He, he went into rebellion. While David was still alive, he rebelled. And so here he is coming to Bathsheba. And he's asking Bathsheba, and you know, the first thing that, first, that when he comes to see Bathsheba, she goes, did you come peacefully? <laughs> you know, why are you, why are you here? Okay, he is not her son. He is an elder son. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago that he was the fourth oldest son. He's the oldest surviving son when David passes away. By all the rules of the monarchs of that day and our day, he should be king. God has picked Solomon. All right? And so is David. And so he comes and he asks Bathsheba, you know, I have one request for you. And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's, it's very benign as far as we see it. Because she says, okay, ask and then he gets in this, and I'm going to read 15 because I think it's very important to look at his state of mind. You know the kingdom was mine. 
Okay, he hasn't gotten over the fact that he was supposed to be king. He's the oldest. He had declared himself king. And that all of Israel set their faces that I should reign. And Israel, you know, the people were behind me. He had a great big party going on. And the kingdom was turned about and has become my brother's. And then look at this one little statement. For it was his from the Lord. Even when he was in rebellion against David, he knew that God had said the kingdom belonged to Solomon. So not only was he rebelling against David and Solomon, he's been rebelling against God. All right? And he still has his attitude, you know, the kingdom's supposed to be mine. And really don't care that it was, you know, God said it's supposed to be mine. And how many times do we probably know a lot of people, maybe even done it ourselves, you know, God, I know you want something to be done, but I want it done my way. Or God, I don't know why that person's being exalted. You know, I, I deserve to get exalted. You know, I'm, I'm the one that's been around the longest. I'm the one who's been, you know, whatever. How come that person, envy, jealousy that comes along? This is the place that he's coming from. And he's getting ready. You know, this is his case. This is the case he's laying down to Bathsheba to make his big request that he wants. Yeah, the kingdom belonged to me. I deserved it. All right. Then he says in verse 16, Now I have one petition of you. Do not deny it. And she said, Speak on. And he, and he said, Speak, I pray, unto Solomon, the king, for he will not tell you no, to give me Abishag, the Shulamite, to, for wife. Now, if we remember who uh, Abishag is, she is the person that took care of David, and laid with him to keep him warm, and he never knew her. Okay, she she was basically a concubine. You know, they never they never slept together as far as to you know to have sex, but she was the concubine. This is a very serious thing that Adonijah is asking for. All the concubines of the previous king belong to the new king. So what he's saying is, give me part of that concubine. Give me, give me part of his uh, women to sleep with and make, it, make them mine. You know, I deserve it. I should, get, I should get the pick of the litter, basically, in this case. She was the most beautiful. She was young. She, and remember we said they searched the entirety of Israel looking for the right person, which meant beautiful and with the right, right attitude. And so he's saying, give me, you know, I want the number one concubine in, in his harem. G give her to me. Remember when David was chased away from the king of Jerusalem by, by his son Absalom. What did Absalom do? He took the ten concubines that were left behind and slept with them on the roof of the, roof of the palace, basically saying, I've got rid of my father. Everything that belongs to him now belongs to me. All right. We saw this going all the way back to the, you know, going back to King Saul. When King Saul died, David got his harem. Now, did they usually sleep with all those women? Not usually. I mean, for one thing, they're young, and those, and those women would be generally much older than they are, so they didn't have much interest to him, but they belonged to the new king. So here we have Adonijah saying, hey, I deserve to be king. I should have been king. I was supposed to be king. I, matter of fact, all the people wanted me to be king, and God said I wasn't king. Now give me what was due to the king. Give me the, the best one in the harem. Now, 
Bathsheba doesn't seem to see this as that big a deal. Because she's getting ready to talk to Solomon about it. Solomon is not going to see it in the same light at all, as we're going to see in the next portion. But we want to just look, the attitude behind what Adonijah is saying is, I don't care that God made Solomon king, it would really belong to me. And because it belonged to me, I want, I want that, that, that good pick of the harem, that beautiful woman that we searched all over Israel for, that served David, I want her to be mine. Pretty big deal. His attitude is all wrong. And this is something that we need to be very careful of in our own life. Is, you know, sometimes we are obedient to God, but our attitudes are wrong. God, I, I am doing what you want me to do, but man, if I had my choice, my heart really wants to do something, something else. Here's Adonijah completely looking at this and saying, I don't care. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. I want what, what belonged to me. That harem belonged to me. The kingdom belonged to me. And so now he's asking for something that doesn't belong to him because his heart says it does. And we've got to be very careful that we don't just obey out of knowledge, but that our heart follows in behind what we're obeying. And so, verse 19, And Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak for Adonijah. And the king arose and met her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat at his right hand. What an honor. She comes up, she just shows up, and he bows and says, Hi, Mom, you know, come on in. He sits down, he puts a seat right next to her. And note that it is, you know, at his right hand. Okay, when you see this word, at the right hand, in scriptures, it's always talking about the side of approval. All right, if somebody is at the, at the right hand, they're the side that's approved, and the, the, the chief one there. We still have the same statement in our, in our okay, this is my right-hand man or my right-hand person as it's being gender, gender neutral now. You know, and what are we saying? I can't get anything done without this person. This person is the one that gets things done for me. I fully trust them. Uh, in the business world, if somebody's the right hand, they speak for the boss. And if they speak, people listen because they have the ear of the boss. They know that that's what's going on. So he puts her on the dais with him right next to him at his right hand and starts talking to her, all right? And remember, this is a time when women don't have a lot of authority, but this is mom. He loves his mom, which is what Adonijah says. You know, his, if you ask Solomon, Solomon won't say no to you. You can ask him for anything. <clears throat> and she said in verse 20, I desire one small petition of you. I pray you say not no. And the king said unto her, ask on my mother for I will not say no and she said let Abishag the Shulamite be given to Adonijah your brother to wife and King Solomon answered and said unto his mother why did you ask for Abishag the Shulamite for Adonijah ask for him the kingdom also for he is my elder brother even for him and Abathar the priest and Joab the son of Zuriai he understands what this is saying all right. Bathsheba doesn't seem to understand what's going on. Otherwise, I don't think she would have asked. All right. Uh, I think she would have just said, no, this is totally wrong. But when she asks this of Solomon, Solomon's a little suspicious. Why are you asking this? You know, he's not your son. Why would you even ask this? 
Again, the concubines belong to the, from the previous king belong to the new king. So what he's saying is Abishai, uh, by asking for Abishag, he's saying, I want the first part of the kingdom. And he's basically saying, I want all of it. He's already proven that he wants all of it. David is dead. This is his chance. You know, at the beginning of any reign of a monarch is when they're at the, at the hardest time. They haven't really got their government under their feet. The, the military are still a little shaky on whether the new, you know, new, new king, new, new queen can, can handle the government. They don't really have their, their network of counselors in place. So what Solomon is seeing is that Adonijah is trying to make a rebellion again. First step. First step. And this is, you look at this, his, his attitude is, you know, why do you ask for them? Ask for the kingdom also. All right? He's getting something that doesn't belong to him. Why are you asking for something that doesn't belong to him? And he goes, he is my elder brother. So he recognizes that God has said he's king, but he also understands that the rest of the world may not understand this. All right? It's part of our problem in the Middle East right now is that God chose Isaac to take the promise of Abraham, take the covenant of Abraham. Isaac is the youngest son of Abraham, or the younger son of Abraham. He had many other sons by, by his uh, concubine after Sarah died. But you have Ishmael, which is his oldest son. By all the rules of the world, the oldest son's supposed to get the inheritance. So God says, no, nope, not the son of your desires, not the son of the flesh, but the son of the spirit. Same thing that God is doing here with, with Adonijah, and Solomon. No, I don't want this one who's ungodly, not following me, doing things his own way. I want Solomon to be king. But there's always going to be that little bit of a, a problem. You know, Solomon's going to go, I know that the world says Adonijah is supposed to get it, but God chose me. David chose me. My father chose me. I am king. But he's always going to be kind of wary. He did not purge the, the royal house like most kings do, did in that day. Most of the time, the new prince took and became king, and they killed all the other princes and their families. You know, no, no challenge to the throne from any of them. You, you know, little ones you might, might let go, but anybody who was old enough to challenge you was killed or sent off to distant lands to, to represent the government at a very far distance so they couldn't, couldn't challenge you. They're still bad in this day, too. It still happens in today's world, too. It, you know, they'll find reasons to get rid of them in today's world without maybe killing them, but they're, they still, in today's world, they send them to the other side of the world to, to take care of things, uh, which I think is what we're seeing right now in the English house, where they're sending off, quote-unquote, by his choice. I'm not sure it's by his choice to be sent off. All right. So, but yes, this is what happened. It happened all the time. Herod killed all of his, didn't even wait for, didn't even wait. He was killing off his sons because he didn't want any of them to challenge him in Jesus' day. He would just go kill his sons, you know, and they got a little, little bit of uh, uh, strength and showed a little bit of fortitude and, and courage. You know, rather than let them take his throne away from him, he'd kill them. It's nothing new under the sun. It always happens. Nothing new. Uh, Power is what people want. We see it even in our government where, where we don't want to see the change of power anymore. 
uh, and we see battles going on that have not plagued us in the, in, in, uh, the centuries that we've been in existence. And it's like we have no idea, but you're thinking they had it just, I mean, they were doing just as bad. Just as bad and they worse. Started all of it. <laughs> well, it starts all the way back with Adam and Eve. So, I mean, it's, that's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And we see the same thing. Solomon is seeing that Adonijah is wanting the very first part of what he doesn't, what he doesn't deserve. Does he know the heart of Adonijah? I don't know. I don't know if he understands the heart of Adonijah. I don't know if he was privy to all this other information that came along down the path. But he knows that Adonijah's heart's not right. All right? And what did he say to him when he was holding on? If you prove to be good, you know, worthy, I'll let you live. But the day that you don't, you shall surely die, which is what he deserved. So he shows him mercy. And then he comes in here and it says, Ask for in the king also in verse 22, kingdom also, for he is my elder, even him, and for Abathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zurai. So he's saying, you want these other ones that tried to rebel against me to be king. All right? This is his first step to take what doesn't belong to him. And he still has the support. Solomon is not trusting Abathar and Joab. Okay? They stood with the wrong side before he became king. Why? I, we don't know for sure. I have a feeling that especially in Joab, he saw somebody that... In something in Solomon that he couldn't control and decided he did not want what God wanted. He wanted, he wanted somebody he could control because he'd had a, he had a hold on David. What that hold was, we don't know completely. Might have been just the murder of Uriah. It could have been a number of things. Uh, he knew David from a long ways back and had something on him. <laughs> Otherwise, David would have got rid of him many times because he actively spoke against David frequently and stood up against David. And so he says, you know, these three want power. Verse 23 says, Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah had not spoken this word against his own life. In other words, Adonijah is trying to do his rebellion thing still, and he hasn't taken the mercy. And this is something that's really hard for us. When, when we see somebody who gets mercy and they don't respond correctly, it's really hard for us as human beings to handle it. Jesus told the parable of the, of the servant who owned, owed the master billions of dollars in our, in, our techno, in our terms, billions, trillions of dollars. And he forgave him his debt, and what did he go on? He went out to somebody who owed him just a couple hundred dollars and says, pay up or go to prison, and sent him to prison so he didn't show the mercy. And then God's response back to him was, uh, now you're going to pay. You know, you did not go out and treat people the way that I treated you. Now you're going to pay. Pay. Here's what Solomon's saying. You know, I gave him mercy. I let him live when he deserved to die. And now what's he doing? He's wanting what doesn't belong to him. And why, this is, why on this? I don't know. But he says he, is, he has spoken against his life. Because that's what he told him. If he will prove himself worthy, I'll let him live. If, he, if evil is found in him, he will die. And so Solomon, as far as he's concerned, has found evil in Adonijah. And so he comes in and 
says, Now therefore, as the Lord lives, which has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. All right? So Adonijah goes to Bathsheba trying to get the beauty of the kingdom <laughs> to be his, even though it belonged to Solomon. And Solomon says, because of this, you're going to die. Greed. Greed on Adonijah's heart. He wanted what he thought belonged to him. Which was actually the sin of Adam and Eve when Satan went to Eve and said, this fruit will make you like God. The greed, the envy. I'm missing something. Something is not right. And this whole attitude showed Solomon, Adonijah's heart was not right. He wanted more. He was unhappy with the gift he had been given. And sometimes we get that same way when God puts us in a certain place and we want something more. Pastors are guilty of this a lot of times. They get together and they all talk about who has the biggest church and who has the best offerings and who, you know, and get, and well, that church really should be mine. You know, I, I, I work as hard. I've been around longer. I've been, I've been, I've studied harder, whatever it might be that, and get envious of somebody else's success. And that's something we need to be very careful of because we have what God can trust us with or give us. And we may not even know what we have sometimes. These pastors that get jealous of somebody else are not even really realizing what they have in their own church many times. And we want to be very careful about this, even in our own lives, that we want something else. Because if we start getting envious of other people or jealous of other people, we're going to live miserable. Well, I don't have what they have. I don't know why they have it. You know, I deserve it. You know, I'm a better person than they are. You know, I've worked harder. I've been around longer. I've done, you know, down the whole list of things that people always go into. And Solomon cuts this one off fast. He understands where this is. Because this wasn't going to just stop here. And Solomon understood this. It wasn't going to just stop with the adding, asking for Abishai. Abishag. It would have, you know, it would have escalated. What's the next part of the kingdom of it? What's the next part of the kingdom? What's the next part of the kingdom? And he'd already seen when, when Absalom rebelled against David, how, how did Absalom do it? He sat at the gate saying, well, you know, if I was king, I would take care of your problems, but I'm not king, so you go ahead and talk to my dad. He won't care. And he, got, he won the hearts of the people by telling them a chicken in every pot and, and uh, cows to plow the fields, you know, the, the old adage of, the, of our democracy, you know, uh, promise what it takes to get get elected again not new always always has been happening and Solomon recognized the greed in Adonijah's heart and then in verse 26 it says and the king said sent by the hand of Beniah the son of Jehoiada and he fell on him that he died sent the general out to kill him now Benaniah is going to be his general but he's also going to be his his executor for these for these few chapters so Adonijah asks for something that he doesn't have and he has great desire in his heart and greed in his heart and unrest. And this is what happens when we have envy and jealousy and greed in our heart, we will never be happy because we're always looking to the other side. The grass is greener on the other side. Why do people get into an affair? They look over and say, well, that, that person really looks good. You know, they're, they're, not, they're nothing like my current spouse. 
You know, they like me. They speak kindly of me. They look good. And then they get rid of the one and go to the other and find out that the grass isn't all, all that much greener on the other side. The grass still needs to be mowed, as Dr. Mc, Bernard McGee used to say, the grass on the other side still needs to be mowed. Uh, you still have to work at it. And, you know, this is where we're seeing with Adonijah. He's envious. He wants the things that he th felt that he's missed. Don't give pearls to swine. Well, it's not even that. I mean, it's not even that. It's just... Not, not wanting what, what somebody else has is, is what, it, what it boils down to. If I'm always wanting what somebody else has, basically what I'm telling God is, you haven't given me the right things. God, you've been unfair to me. You haven't given me what I deserve, and they don't deserve it, and I'm unhappy, and I'm not... And it always boils down to I'm not happy with God. Okay? I'm envious because they have something I don't have, and God, it's all your fault because you didn't give it to me, and you gave it to them. Almost everything boils down to unsatisfaction with what God is doing for us in the bottom line. Now, we don't term it that way. Very rarely are we going to say, God, it's all your fault I didn't get that stuff. Why would you give it to them? We're very rarely going to be that aggressive with God. But that really is what we're doing. God, I just, they have stuff that I deserve. I don't know why you're giving it to them. You know, I read my Bible more than they do. I pray. I'm, I'm around church more. Why did they, why did they get all this stuff? You know, and we presume that we're better than they are because we don't end up getting to know who we are and don't recognize who we are in our flesh anyway because that's half of our battle and half of our problem is not recognizing how bad our sin is. God, you know, my sin really isn't that bad. You know, that guy's really got some bad sins, God. You know, and we know and we almost always will make ourselves look better in our eyes than we actually are. And we've got to be able to get to the place where we see sin as awful as God sees it. The littlest sin that we think is little, God says is awful and stinks and is a stench into his nostrils and a blur, blight in his sight. And you know, it's kind of interesting as we get closer and closer to God, we start seeing the same thing in our own life. We start seeing the sin that we used to think was okay and God has changed our heart and we start seeing it for the stinky pile of garbage that it really is and that's not even seeing things the way God sees it <laughs> you know and we want to be careful with this because we need to see that when we think we're really good we don't know anything about where we are I was listening to one of the pastors on the radio today and he was really irritating me about talking about how certain sins are really bad and it's hard for him to imagine how certain sins could could be forgiven and, you know, because it's a slap in God's face to, to commit certain sins. And I'm going, this is crazy. All sins are bad. That's just the problem. That's what I'm thinking. It really doesn't matter what sin it is. If I sin, sin, sin. it's all a slap in God's face reality, in reality, but he still forgives it because of his grace and his mercy and the death of Jesus Christ. And we need to be very careful about that. We always tend to look at others and, and say they're terrible and awful. And we, well, and why do we do it? Usually we'll excuse ourselves. Well, I know I didn't really mean to do that. My, you know, I, I hadn't meant to do that. And yet when we look at somebody else, we don't give them the benefit of the doubt that we give ourselves. We go all after them. You know, they did it on purpose. And I hear this so often from people. Well, they, they did that and I just know they did it on purpose to hurt me. 
well, I doubt that they tried to hurt you. You know, I doubt that they were trying to hurt you, period, much less on purpose. And yet when you hurt them, you weren't doing it on purpose and you'll give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but it's still just as bad. And it really is. And this is why we need to be very careful. This greed in Adonijah's heart that he's expressing, the kingdom belonged to me and I'm going to get what belongs, I'm going to get whatever I can out of this. I don't know that he wanted the kingdom at this point, but he wants everything that he can get that he, should have, that he felt he should have had. And it's going to start with Abishag. So he dies. And verse 26, And unto Abathar the priest said the king, Get you to Anathoth unto your own fields, for you are worthy of death, but I will not at this time put you to death, because you bear, bore the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you have afflicted in, because you have afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. So Solomon thrust out Abathar from being priest of the, to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spake concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. All right, Abathar has been with David for a long time. All right, he was with David in his hiding. He was the one that got away from the purge of the priest when, when David went to the priest, if you remember the story, he went to the priest, he goes, I need some food, I need a weapon. I'm on a special, minis- special mission from Saul, is what he told them. And they go, well, we don't have much. You can have, you can have some bread, and all we have is the sword of Goliath. And it's yours anyway. Go ahead and take it. And remember, Daog uh, De- saw this happen, reported it to Saul, and what he reported to Saul was that the priests are helping David. And Saul came back and killed all the priests because of David's lie. And Abathar was the one that got away and wandered with David all through the wilderness for those years that he was wandering in the wilderness. So he has this long uh, event, and that was the event that happened in 2 Samuel 22. And then he was David's priest. He was the one that gave David the blessings. He was the one that when they needed advice, he was the one that went before God. He is the one that when David was chased away from, by Absalom, uh, he followed after David with the, with the Ark of the Covenant, ready to, ready to bear it before David. And David says, no, get it back. If God wants me to come back, I'll, I'll be there. And then yet he follows after Adonijah instead of Solomon. Why? We don't know. Nothing's told to us. What, what made him fall out from David's, David's desires? We don't know. But Solomon goes, because you have done all of this with, with my father, I'm not going to kill you, even though you're worthy of death. But he says, but go back home and take care of your own fields. Don't, you have no place here in Jerusalem. You have no place at the tabernacle. So in essence, he was kicked out of his role as a priest and to follow into exile. Um, and he says, so, and then we see this, so that the word of the Lord would be fulfilled when he spoke concerning Elijah and Eli in Shiloh. What was the message to Eli in Shiloh? Eli, because of his disobedience and not, not disciplining his sons, was told that you and your sons shall no longer be priests. It took a few hundred years for it to happen because Abathar is one of the last of his 
line. And we find that in, in Chronicles. So Abathar goes back to the line of Eli, and he is finally taken out from being a priest. And it's nowhere after that is recognized that any of Abathar's sons served as priests. Yeah. Well, we had Eli at the beginning. Well, a couple, let's see, at least 100. We've got Saul, uh, King, King Saul, who reigned for 40 years, David, who reigned for 40 years, and so roughly 100 years, a little less than 100 years. In God's time, God always gets his way eventually. All right? Always. This is why it's silly for us to fight against God. Because when we fight against God, we're fighting a losing battle. Which is one of the reasons it's hard to believe that Satan fights against God so hard. He rebelled against God. He knows he's created. He sees things from the spiritual side. He knows that God's word is true. He knows that God is going, said that he's going to be defeated. And yet he's trying desperately not to, uh, to win. And yet he knows he can't. He was the archangel the archangel of all the angels out there. He was, you know, the highest angel that there was was, was Lucifer. Only behind God himself in, in power and authority. And the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet he rebelled. And has stayed fighting for God for the, at least the 6,000 6, years that we've been in, that this earth has been in existence. And when we want to see this whole problem, God always will get his way. He always wins. And we need to be able to understand that he's going to win. That makes it easy for us. When we fully understand the sovereignty of God and that God is going to get his way, and we believe it, life becomes easy for us because then we just submit to his sovereignty and say, God, okay, your way? All right. Now, it would be nice if we could do it perfectly. I wish we could. I wish I could do it perfectly. Life would be so much simpler if I always surrendered to God's sovereignty. Because I fight just like everybody else, and God wins, and I feel miserable for fighting him, and then I repent, and, you know, eventually. <laughs> but, you know, there's consequences when we fight against God. Always. Adonijah is going to find it. Abathar found it. He fought against God's will. And he should have known better. He was priest. So here we have family that has come against uh, Solomon. We see the priesthood that came against Solomon. And Solomon said, okay, you deserve to die, but I'm not going to... You suffered with my dad through all those years. Don't know what went wrong with you in your latter years when you rebelled against him, his desires. But you just go. You go back home and slowly die. <laughs> Take, take, take your death that comes your way. The idea that I see here is also the idea of wanting to finish well. Paul said, I have run the race. I have done all. I'm not guilty of any man's blood. I'm ready to die because I have finished well. So many people in the scriptures we look at did not finish well. You see Moses striking the rock and being kicked out of saying, you're not going to the kingdom. You're not going into the promised land. He didn't finish well. At the very end, he didn't finish well. You see somebody, even like Abraham, in his last years, he took a concubine and had another six sons. 
pretty amazing for a man at 130-something years old to have six more sons when all he had was two with his wife that he loved, or one with his wife and one with a, with a, a servant. And yet, when he's ancient, he has six more sons. <laughs> uh, he did not totally finish well. You see, Noah spends 120 years building an ark, gets off the ark, gets drunk. You know, uh, and we see this over and over, how people don't always finish well. Our prayer for us as a people should always be, Lord, help me to finish well. I want to continue with you right up until the last day. My, my hope and prayer is that I get to preach all the way to the day that I die, or at least teach. may not be the pastor of a church, but I'm going to be teaching somewhere, I hope, but, you know, to the day I die because I don't want to fall away. God has called me to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher until the day I die. And whatever it is that God's called us to be, we need to be very strong in whatever that is. And say, God, and be humble enough to say, God, help me finish strong. I don't want to see anything happen to not finish strong. Because this is important. We see so many people in the scriptures that did not finish strong. I know people in my own family who have not finished strong from where they started out. And I pray, God, I want to finish strong. Don't let anything happen to drop that, drop that ball. Avathar did not finish strong. At the very end of his life, he, he rebelled against David and lost his position as priest and was ex exiled. Not out of the country, but exiled to his home. You're no longer welcome to the capital. Go back. Go back. You no longer have your place. Verse 28. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned against Adon after Adonijah, though he had turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. So here we have Joab. Joab is seeing the handwriting on the wall. Adonijah has been killed. Abathar has been exiled. Who's left of the, of the three leaders that rebelled against Solomon? Joab. So he runs to the altar and grabs hold of the horns on the altar. And this was, we've talked about this when we talked about it before, this was begging for mercy. Okay, begging for mercy. I'm in the, temper, I'm in the tabernacle. You can't kill me in the tabernacle. And I'm, in the, I'm before God, and I'm praying to God by grabbing hold of the altar, is basically what they were saying. And it was told to King Solomon, Joab is fled into the tabernacle of the Lord, and behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go fall on him. <laughs> All right? Solomon's saying, I don't care if he's in the tabernacle. I don't care if he's holding on to the horns of the altar. Go kill him. All right? This is a pretty bold thing because this is a tradition now that if you're going into the tabernacle, you're asking for mercy. It doesn't mean you're going to get it. It just means I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking, I'm at, you know, falling on the mercy. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, come forth. And he said, No, I will die here. Because Benaiah didn't want to kill him in the tabernacle. All right? He's saying, Come on out. The king has ordered you to come out. That's what he said. Thus saith the king, Come out. And he said, Nope, I'm staying. I will die here. 
I'm going to die here. If you're going to kill me, you're going to kill me right here in the tabernacle. And Benaiah brought word, the king word, saying, Thus saith Joab, and thus he answered him, me. And the king said unto him, verse 31, Do as he has said, fall on him and bury him, that he may that you may take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and read the next 32. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, for he fell upon two men more righteous and better than he. He slew them with the sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit, Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of the host of Israel, and Amasah, the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever, but upon David and his, upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So this is the punishment of Joab for killing two innocent men. All right? If you remember the stories, Abner had come to David and said, I will deliver the kingdom to you. I'm, I'm giving up fighting against you and God. And we don't know what his, deal, what his ultimate deal was, but I have a feeling it was because of Joab's... Uh, response was that he was going to be made general of David's army. Okay? Because Joab was the general of David's army and he went out and killed Abner. Now he hated Abner. They were opponents in many wars. But remember, he called Abner on the pretense that David wanted to talk to, give, give him a message. And Abner came to him and was killed. Which makes no sense. You've got a general who should have known better. Uh, but he stood side by side, and, and Joab stuck the sword right into his right, right up in, in, into his heart. One quick blow killed him. Abishah was picked by David to be the general after Absalom, uh, after Absalom and, and those rebellions that have happened. And when he didn't, and then Joab met him in the field and killed him. You know, without without in battle. Just cold-blooded murder that he never repents of. David murdered, basically arranged for uh, Uriah's murder, but then repented. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that Joab ever repented of these two murders. And how many others he had, we don't know. He was a very vicious man. Most of his killing was done in battle, but these two were ones that were noted outside of battle at times of peace, and he would just kill him. He was not opposed to kill his adversaries, which is why David wants him gone. He doesn't want him around Solomon because he doesn't want to see somebody that's as vicious as Joab around Solomon. So he's out, and he's killed. He I would say he's more of a cold-blooded murderer than a terrorist. He didn't go out causing havoc with other people. He would just kill anybody he thought deserved to die. So if you want to stretch terrorist, yeah, terrorist. But he didn't go out for just causing havoc. He just killed anybody he considered a threat to him. Abner, Amosa, <laughs> maybe even some of his other generals. He might have arranged for some of those generals, to, you know, uh, captains and lieutenants and whatever, to be put into battle situations that he knew that they had a good chance to die because they were getting too strong. But that's the kind of man he is. If you're opposing him, 
he was going to kill you. Uh, and that's, David understood that about him. And this is why he's counseled Solomon, get rid of him. And Solomon's doing this, say, hey, you put a blood stain on my family because people think that David authorized this stuff. And he goes, no. And he kills him to, get put, to, to uh, execute him to, to bring that stain off the, off the family. And again, why did David not do it? We're not told. Something, somehow, David feared Joab. Feared something about Joab. Might just be that he was the general of the army. The general of an army holds a lot of power if, it, if they're more liked than the, than the leader. Because you can turn the, turn the army and take over, the, take over a country real quick. And that's why all leaders keep an eye on their, gen, their, chief, their chief generals in the army to make sure, are they still on my side? <laughs> are they still following me? Are they going to follow me? And I think here we see Solomon say, no, Joab's a little old, but I'm not going to take any chances with him. And Benai's life was going to be on the line if Joab lived. Because Benai's now the general. Joab's old, but he's still you know, been willing to kill other generals put in his place. So this is going to be quite a move. And so he says, okay, he wants to die in the temple? Go get him. <laughs> Go get him, kill him, get rid, of the, get rid of the blood on the kingdom. And that's what verse 34. So Benai, the son of Jehoiada, went and fell upon him and slew him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. So they took Joab out of the temple buried him all right so they didn't they did good they, they buried him <laughs> but he got what he asked for i wanted to, you're not going to leave all right you'll die right where you're at you'll die right where you're at in the in the in the church kind of reminds us of priscilla and aquila uh, not priscilla and aquila uh, ananias and sapphira in the in the new testament we gave all this money to god why are you lying to the church and to the holy spirit you're dead <laughs> you know uh so we, we sit here. One more judgment coming up in, in this, verse 36. Oh, verse 35. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his room over the host, and Zadok the priest did the king put in the room of Abathar. So he says, okay, we just killed off the, the old advisors that have been troublemakers and rebelled, and he put two new people in their place. Two new two new advisors. Benaiah, head of the host, new general. Zadok, new, new priest, new, new head priest. And he put them in their rooms, which meant they had rooms in the palace. They had the ear of the king whenever they wanted it. So they, they're given that key position. They're elevated. And the other two are taken down from their key positions. Verse 36, And the king sent and called for Shimei and said unto him, Build you a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and go not forth thence any, in, any whither. And it shall be that on the day that you go out and pass over the brook of Kidron, you shall know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be upon your own head. And Shimei said unto the king, The saying is good. As the Lord the king hath said, so will your servant do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So Shimei has said, you can, you can live. And remember, Shimei is the one that was cursing David and throwing rocks at David when he was running away from Absalom. Basically saying, you got what you deserved, you evil, wicked man. I'm glad you're gone. And now maybe we can take over. You know, We've got a king we can take over a little easier and cursed him. 
and David didn't kill him. And when he came back, he goes, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean what I said. And David says, well, I'm not going to kill you today, even though you deserve it. All right. Solomon is still showing him mercy. He says, okay, come to Jerusalem, build a house, build a house here in Jerusalem and never leave Jerusalem. This is almost like the city of sanctuary, refuge. Somebody killed somebody by accident. They ran to the city of refuge and they had to stay in the city of refuge until the high priest died. All right. So it's kind of like this. You deserve to die, but I'm going to let you live in Jerusalem. But don't you dare go outside of Jerusalem. All right? And you let him go as far as the brook of Kidron, which was literally right outside Jerusalem. So you could step outside the walls, but don't go. Don't go across the brook. So you have like a thousand yard, a thousand feet or a hundred yards or something like that. Before, you, know, you can't go past this, this whatever, whatever space. It's very narrow. All right? And Shimei says, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to me. At least I live. Because <laughs> he's already seen three other people die who deserved it. So he said, okay, it sounds really good to me. Verse 39. And it came to pass at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away to Achish, son of Machanath, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, behold, your servants be in Gath. And Shimei arose and saddled his donkey and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. All right, so he has some runaway slaves, runaway servants. And immediately he says, because my servants have run away, I am going to go get them. I know what I have been told. I've been told never to leave Jerusalem, but this is extenuating circumstances. I, can go, I should be able to go get my Servants, they're my servants. They ran away. I should be able to go get them and not have this punishment fall upon me. How many times do we as Christians and the lost especially think that way? Well, God, if you just knew my circumstances, you'd understand that what I did is really not that bad, God. You know, God, if you just understood that person really mistreated me, so therefore... I attacked them in a way that I shouldn't have done. I didn't show them love. I didn't show them mercy. I, they deserved what they got. I, I have extenuating circumstances, God. Now, if you just knew things from my point of view, God, you'd find out. Here we go. You know, he knows that he's not to leave Jerusalem. He could have just as easily have sent some, some servant of his or even a child of his and said, hey, you go get my servants because I can't leave Jerusalem. But because he felt slighted, his servants had ran away. He probably didn't even take a moment to say, okay, I'm not supposed to leave Jerusalem, but, but these guys have run away, so I've got to go get them. He never took a moment to say, well, maybe I can send my son or my uncle or somebody else to go get them. He didn't even think about that. All he's saying is, it's really important that I get my servants back because I got hurt. My servants left me. They ran away. They, I, I deserve to go bring them back. His mentality was what we do a lot. God, well, gee, God, you know, they, I just deserve, I mean, really deserve to do this, you know. Or, God, if you just understood the circumstances, you'd understand why I did it. And this is where he's at. Verse 40, uh, verse 41. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and was come back again. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said, did I not make you swear by the Lord and protested unto you, saying, 
Know for certain that the day that you go out and walk about hither, you shall surely die. And you said unto me, the word that I have heard is good. <laughs> so Solomon is reminding him of his promise. Took three years for him. Maybe, maybe he actually forgot his promise. I don't know. Maybe he forgot that he had promised to stay, stay in Jerusalem. I don't know because he's a Benjamite, so he doesn't belong in Judah and, in Jerusalem anyway. So maybe yeah, he might have thought, Solomon's so busy, he forgot about the promise. Uh, you know, who knows how, what his thinking was? You know, the same things we think. Well, God, if you just knew my side of the story, you'd be, well, maybe God forgot. You know, you know, he told me to do such and such, but maybe he forgot. <laughs> uh, same, same type of mentality here, I think. Whether he forgot or he thinks that Solomon's forgot, it really doesn't matter because it's going to come back to haunt him. And he says, you said it was good. And then he says in verse 43, why then did you not keep the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged you with? And the king said, tomorrow, uh, moreover, I, you know all the wicked, I know, you know all the wickedness of your heart is privy to, and you did to David my father, therefore the Lord shall return your wickedness upon your own head. Solomon says, I know how evil you are. You know how evil you are. So you are now going to re reap the reward. You're going to re reap the reward of your actions. You made a promise to God and to me to stay in Jerusalem. You broke both of those. And I know how evil you, your heart is. Now you're, now you're going to reap that reward. And it says in verse 45, And Solomon's and Solomon shall be blessed, and, you, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord. So the king commanded Benai, the son of Jehoiada, which went out and fell upon him, and he died. And the kingdom was established by, in the hand of Solomon. Benai, the, the chief general, is also the executor. Anytime there's an execution goes down, Benai is sent out. Now, now whether Benai literally actually does the entire execution or his general assigns others doesn't really matter. Okay, he is the one being duly positioned by Solomon to go do it. And this is the power of, of authority. Remember the centurion when Jesus went, came to Jesus and said, my, my servant is sick, would you, would you heal him? And Jesus said, I will come with you. And he says, no, you don't need to come with me. I am a man under authority like you. All you have to do is speak the word and he will be healed because I understand authority. I tell a servant to do this, he does it. I tell another to do this, and he does it. He goes, all you need to do is speak. You don't have to come to my house. So we see this process here. Did Benai actually kill each one of them? I think he killed Joab. It's pretty clear that he did the, did, it, did the thing to Joab. The rest of them doesn't really matter. It says he did, but it could also have been just done on his authority. Saying, okay, you three, go out there and <laughs> take care of the matter. Uh, you, you're the executioner with the axe, you go, you take his head off. All right? And it'll still be his responsibility as, as the general of the, of the military. So we see here Solomon cleaning out the kingdom of the evil to try to make it a righteous kingdom at, at its start. And this is a picture of what God is going to do in his kingdom when he comes to the millennial kingdom and everybody who has taken the mark of the beast will be cast into hell until the judgment a thousand years later. And then he will work on the hearts of the people for a thousand years on earth to see where they're at. And we see this over and over, that God is so merciful. 
He gives people enough opportunities to come to him or to show what, that their heart is full of evil, which we, we know it is. Without Christ in our heart, we are evil. With him in our heart, we still are evil, but God has a chance to change it because he puts a new heart in us. And he put, makes us a new creature and the Holy Spirit dwells in us that we are able to make some decisions to follow him and to make good decisions. Will we make perfect decisions? Wish, we, wish that were so, but it's not. Will the Holy Spirit work on us when we've made bad decisions? Absolutely. I, I, I know and you all know, I'm sure, that when you do something wrong and God just puts it, hits you with the conviction, God, I am so sorry, eventually we have to say to him, I, help me not do that again, and we repent. This is the value of being his child. He makes us a new creation. He indwells us. He puts a conviction in us. He changes our heart attitude. Over time, walking with him, we start recognizing that things that we used to think were okay are no longer okay. And we start, ugh, look at that. I thought that that looked pretty good over there. Now I get a little closer, and that pile of, that pile of garbage really stinks. <laughs> and I used to think it was okay. So we clean that garbage out. And we go, oh yeah, that, that, that thing over there looks okay. And we get closer to it. And we start seeing that it stinks and smells and is rag has a bunch of moldy maggots and crawling vermin all over it. And we get rid of it because we start recognizing it and God keeps doing that in our life. To say what we used to think was okay, he shows us how sinful it is. This should not make us self-righteous toward others. It should make us even more tender toward others. Because God is working on us. He is working on others. Our problem is sometimes we get to the place where we think we're so much further down the road than somebody else that we go, you know, hey, I got rid of, I got rid of those sins years ago. Why, why are you still struggling with them? Well, unfortunately, it may have taken us a long time to get there too. We need to show love, mercy, compassion on people. Bring them the gospel of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. Where they stand is between them and God. Our job is to love them and show them God's love and let God work it out. Let God work out whether they deserve to be forgiven or not, whether they're going to accept Jesus Christ or not. Because sometimes people can look good that aren't. You know, it's pretty easy to get look good on the outside. Well, I watch what I say, I watch what I do, I watch, how, I watch what people see me do. But boy, if you guys just knew my heart, if you knew what I did outside of your vision, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. You'd understand how evil I am. Yeah. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're cleaning the outside of the cup, but that inside, man, I, you know, that inside is terrible. Uh, but you know, that is the way we need to be. And as we look at others, give them mercy, give them grace. They're not growing as fast as we are. Fine. Doesn't matter. It's not a race. There's probably areas they're growing much faster than we are anyway. You know, and I've said this before. You know, we look at somebody and say, well, how come you haven't fi you know, fixed that area of your life? They're probably, they could be looking at us the same way. You know, how can you still be doing that particular area of your life? But you know, we do it all the time. I look at certain things that I, you know, I'm going to look at myself, look, you know, I, I've got that area clean, I've got that area cleaned, I got, but we're not looking at the areas where they might have more clean than we are. You know, and, we, and we're not to stand in those kind of judgments anyway. 
were just to love one another and edify and build each other up. We all have places that we need to grow in. Some more than others and that are more obvious than others. Some that are all heart attitudes. You know, I am so glad that people don't understand my heart sometimes. You know, when I want to say something and I don't say something or I want to do something and I don't do it. I look good to them, but I know that I didn't, I know that I didn't pass the test because my, my anger swear, you know, swelled up and said, I'm, you know, okay, we're going to put it down in check. <laughs> I'm not going to say or do the things that I meant, wanted to do. I'm not going to act the way I wanted to act. Does that make me a good person? No, God knows what I wanted to do. The good place is when the Holy Spirit wells up and I go, I just want to love this person. I'm going to be kind to this person. Yeah, they've been mean to me, but I'm going to love this person. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Why? Because I deserve it? Absolutely not. <laughs> just because God says to do it. Love one another. Edify one another. Because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He indwells us and makes us a new creation. He gives us the power to have the right attitudes and the right thoughts. And as we don't do it, he's going to show it to us. And he's going to help us grow. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you to be with us and as we walk about this life. Lord, teach us to follow you in all that we do. Help us to, to let you live through us and to guide us and to keep us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.